Welcome to the HOSA Speaks Healthcare podcast with host Jake Kelly. Hello, HOSA, and welcome back to HOSA Speaks Healthcare. I'm your host, Jake Kelly, and I'm so excited to be back with you on our fourth installment of the HOSA Speaks Healthcare podcast. Well, happy Black History Month. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the key figures in medicine um, who were black, African American, um, as well as kind of where black and African-American communities are at in today's terms when it comes to healthcare. So, you know, if we look back across the continuum of healthcare and the timeline, we see that it's marked with quite a few incredible achievements. Medicine in general is just an incredible field to go into. I think we can all agree with that. But if we really look at some of the key achievements and, and key developments that we still use today in medicine, we often don't realize that some of those achievements were achieved through the efforts of black and African-American individuals, specifically in the United States. Now, one such of these achievements, which is really important to me, is the first successful open-heart surgery. Now, if you know me, if you know me at all, you'll know I'm a heart guy. So, you know, currently I work in a hospital in two different uh, heart areas. It's what I want to do in my life. So anything heart-related, I just love. And so when I learned about this first person, this first physician, I was just blown away at his achievements and that I didn't even know that he was a black American. Now, the physician I'm talking about is, of course, Dr. Daniel Hill Williams. Dr. Williams was the first physician to successfully complete an open heart surgery back in 1893. Now, that is just incredible to me. The fact that in 1893, for one, we had an open heart surgery and that we were advanced enough to, to be able to recognize, hey, we should probably do this to help this patient survive. But it's also incredible that the first successful surgery of this magnitude was completed by an African-American male. Now, Dr. Williams was also memorable and pretty successful because he also founded Provident Hospital and the Training School for Nurses back in 1891 which this was the first black-owned hospital in the United States, and this also made Dr. Williams one of the first black hospital administrators, which is another key uh, component to healthcare and just, you know, keeps building on to Dr. Williams' resume here. But if we really look at the timeline there, he opened this hospital in 1891, and then two years later completed the first successful open-heart surgery. Now, that's a pretty quick turnaround, and I think it's a pretty impressive turnaround uh, for such an outstanding guy. Now, of course, he's not the only black physician that made really long strides in the field of healthcare. We also have Dr. James McCune Smith. Now, he was the first African American to earn a medical degree in 1837. Now, he did reside in America, but he didn't receive his medical degree from an American medical school. He actually enrolled and received this degree from the University of Glasgow in Scotland. Now, this was just because medical schools in the U.S. at times weren't allowing African-Americans to enroll into their schools. So, you know, Dr. Smith took the initiative, went abroad, got his medical degree, and came back to practice in the United States. Now, he was also the first black person to own and operate a pharmacy in the U.S., as well as the first black person to be published in a U.S. medical journal. So, you know, we had, we had Dr. Williams to complete that first open-heart surgery, was the first black hospital administrator, and then we have Dr. Smith owning his own pharmacy and being the first black person to both receive a medical degree and be published 
in a U.S. medical journal. And in the realm of medicine, being published in a medical journal is a pretty significant achievement. So uh, the fact that Dr. Smith was able to achieve this uh, in the time was just incredible. Moving on to give some uh, representation to our female African Americans, we have Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Now, Dr. Crumpler was the first African American female to earn a medical degree in 1864. She was also one of the first black physician uh, authors and female physician authors, I might add. And she published what's called a book of medical discourse in 1883. Not only was she a accomplished physician and the first female black physician to earn a medical degree, she also was one of the first female physicians to publish a book. And of course, going back to if we look in the in the in the time frame, both that Dr. Crumpler was black and female, the fact that she was able to obtain a medical degree and publish a book is just outstanding. Now, moving on to a little bit further down the pipeline, we have Dr. Charles Richard Drew. Now, Dr. Drew was a pioneer in blood transfusion research, and he's also called the father of the blood bank. He helped save thousands of soldiers and, and others during World War II through his blood plasma transfusion research. He was also the first director of the American Red Cross's blood bank and advocated that there was no scientific proof of difference between white and black blood. Now, it's kind of ironic at the time, during the time that Dr. Drew was in charge of the blood bank, the American Red Cross actually wouldn't accept transfusions and donations from black um, individuals. They, there was um, kind of this um, pseudoscience that was saying that you know, a, a black man's blood could not go into a white, could not be transfused into a white man. And, and Dr. Drew really advocated that there was no scientific proof to this. And it actually led to him stepping down um, as the director because of this, this discrimination. And, you know, as we know now, Dr. Drew was right. There is no scientific proof of any, um, any hard difference between these two bloods. As long as the blood types match, it, the race doesn't matter. Now, moving a little bit forward into more modern times with some, some of the physicians you may have heard of already, we have Dr. Ben Carson. Now, Dr. Ben Carson became the Director of Pediatric Neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins at the age of 32, which is absolutely outstanding. He's also celebrated for successfully separating twins that were conjoined at birth, and they were conjoined at the cranium. That operation lasted a total of 22 hours, which it's, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a great movie uh, kind of portraying this whole operation. I really encourage you to check that out, um, as well as Dr. Carson's autobiography called Gifted Hands. Now, the last physician we're going to highlight today, and you know, it's really hard to just narrow it down to this group, is Dr. Mae Jemison. Uh, Dr. Mae Jemison is actually from near my hometown, which is pretty cool. Um, and she was the first black female astronaut for NASA. She does have a medical degree from Cornell University, and she actually conducted bone cell research in space, which I think is absolutely incredible. And we'll get a little bit into uh, space medicine uh, at a later uh, episode uh, this year. And the last person I really want to highlight is actually in the field of nursing. You know, the last couple of people I mentioned were all physicians. Uh, I want to mention uh, Miss Mary Eliza Mahoney. Miss Mahoney was the first African American to graduate from an American school of nursing and is considered the first black professional nurse. So obviously, nursing is a huge part of healthcare. And, you know, we want to celebrate Miss Mahoney for her uh, step in allowing more black females and black males 
to go to nursing schools um, with her incredible achievement. Now, you've just heard some incredible accomplishments from some pretty distinguished physicians and nurses that really led to certain advancements in how we know healthcare today, whether it's you know blood transfusions, heart transplants, whatever it may be. These contributions came from African Americans. They helped bring us to where we are today. But that does not mean that we can forget the challenges that black and African American individuals face today and have faced throughout the history of our country and of the world. And while a lot of these challenges have gotten a little better, they are not, they have not gone away. And I really want to hit home on that. And I think that if we really take inventory of where we're at as a country and as, as just a society in general, we know that we're not there yet. These challenges have not been, you know, kind of pushed away, set aside for these individuals. They still exist. We can see that if we take a look at African Americans in medicine today. In 2018, only 5% of all actively practicing physicians in the United States were black or African Americans. And this is according to the American Association of Medical Colleges. 11% of nursing school grads were black or African American in 2020. Now, if we look at the faculty teaching these these medical students and nursing students, only 3.6% of full-time medical school faculty are black or African American. There has been a slight increase in black or African American nursing school faculty in recent years over the last maybe 10 or so years, but the numbers are still low. So this means that a lot of these students in their undergrad careers aren't being exposed to black or African American faculty that they will be having in their medical school journey. And if we really look at kind of what a medical school faculty consists of, it consists of professionals in the field, right? It consists of professional nurses, professional physicians, whatever it may be. So if we have a lower number of professionals in these fields that are black or African American, we're going to have a lower number of faculty as well. And that that really causes a problem with diversity, which has become a, a kind of key cornerstone of a lot of the mission statements and, and value statements of medical schools today is this diversity. Now, according to the AAMC, the diversity of entering medical school students has increased with the number of black or African-American enrollees increasing by 21%. And this was as, the, as of their most recent study, which is encouraging. It's really encouraging, but it's, it's not got us out of the woods to where you know, that 5% is higher. So what needs to change? You know, I think there, there's a lot of things that needs to change in terms of um, medical schools in general, but also just systemically things need to change to increase this diversity and increase this number of black or African-American physicians in the workforce. One thing that um, can definitely change and, and I think definitely should change is a little bit less weight on MCAT scores in your application. Now, a lot of medical schools are switching to a more holistic review of applicants, which is good, but there's still quite a large amount of weight placed on the MCAT. Um, so much so that 3,659 black students have been denied admittance to medical schools since 2015 with an MCAT score 
anywhere from 495 to 505, which is about the median score. Now, that's quite a few students. And if all those students had been you know, accepted into medical school at that time, we would have close to 4,000 new or, or um, current black physicians currently practicing. And that's a number that we desperately need to increase. And I'll get into that, in, that reasoning here in just a minute. Now, another thing that must change is that medical schools must work with historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, to identify and support black undergraduate students with an interest in medicine. So a lot of these medical schools, in, in which I didn't realize, by the way, there are only four medical schools in the United States that are classified as a historically black uh, medical university. So these other schools, I think there's about 151 other medical schools, need to be connecting with these HBCUs to provide opportunities for these black students to come into medical schools so that they can better represent their communities. Another thing that needs to change, you might ask, just an increase in healthcare, in access to healthcare in black communities, and an increase in diversity of healthcare professions and professionals in these communities. If we really think about it, if you want to go on healthcare, it's probably because you've been exposed to someone in that profession, whether it's a family member, whether it's, you know, going to the doctor or, you know, working with a nurse or something like that, going to the pharmacy, you've been exposed to those professions. In historically black communities, a lot of these individuals don't want to go to the physician or to the doctor because of a fear of discrimination. So they're not being exposed to this this field of healthcare that they could go into, and that's causing them to not want to go into those professions down the road. So by increasing access to healthcare in these black communities, we're not only you know providing better healthcare, which is a huge, huge need, we're also providing better exposure for these individuals in these communities to learn about a career field that, that they may want to go into. And so that, you know, down the road, generationally, can lead to an increase in black medical school graduates and nursing school graduates even just by having that increased access. But aside from access and you know continuing on that exposure route, just increasing exposure of black students to healthcare, whether that's in, in secondary, such as high school and things like that, or in post-secondary. And that's where HOSA comes in. And you know, you know me, I gotta put in a little shameless plug about HOSA. We currently have 19,773 black or African-American members. That is 19,773 different people who are planning to go into the healthcare field in various different specialties that can make a difference in these healthcare um, outcomes and disparities in these black communities. So by supporting these students, by, by allowing them exposure to these areas of healthcare, HOSA is, is hoping to increase healthcare diversity and healthcare provider diversity so that our patients feel more comfortable and more represented in their, in their care plan and in their healthcare team. And, you know, that's, you know, we think, oh, we may, that's not important. It absolutely is important. It is absolutely crucial to feel represented in your healthcare team based on your culture you know, your religion, your race, your gender, your sexual identity. It's crucial to your health to feel represented and accepted because then you feel heard. And if you feel heard, you're more willing to follow that care plan 
because you feel like you have people on your team and people on your side to help you. So all in all, systemically things need to change to increase the number of current black and African-American medical school, nursing school, just health profession in general numbers. And I think HOSA is, is taking a step to that, but we all can do better. We all can help provide better access to healthcare in black communities. We can, you know, help advocate for a, a stronger uh, focus on a holistic review of ap- applications to healthcare uh, professions and healthcare universities. We can help advocate that medical schools across the country help to help connect with HBCUs to provide these students at these historically black colleges and universities with opportunities to go into these healthcare professions. We can do that. We can be that advocate. We can be that voice. No matter where you are in the world, no matter your ethnic background, your racial background, it doesn't matter. We all have a responsibility to make sure that the future of healthcare is diverse and representative of all people, no matter who we come across in our day-to-day lives. So just a short little episode about kind of the history of, of black people and African Americans in healthcare and kind of what we can do in the future and, and in the now rather to increase these numbers and increase access to healthcare and healthcare opportunities uh, for these communities. So I encourage each and every one of you to get out there in your communities, see what you can do to encourage um, medical schools in your area or, or just students in your area to pursue, you know, medical training and medical professions because there's a great need for medical professionals in general, but there's also a great need of greater diversity, which I think we've, we've really hit, hit that home in this episode. So with that, we hope you've enjoyed this. We hope you have a great Black History Month and I hope that you really take some time to learn about black culture and black communities and, and how you can support them in your areas. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time on HOSA Speaks Healthcare. HOSA is a global student-led organization recognized by the U.S. Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services and several federal and state agencies. HOSA's mission is to empower HOSA future health professionals to become leaders in the global health community through education, collaboration, and experience. HOSA actively promotes career opportunities in the health industry and to enhance the delivery of quality healthcare to all people. To learn more about how you can get involved in About HOSA, please visit HOSA.org. HOSA Speaks Healthcare podcast is a copyrighted production of HOSA. Future Health Professionals.